Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS Podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's Medical Director. I'm here with awesome co-hosts, Dr. Sajan Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi, everyone. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about COVID. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of Americans' family. Help is on the way. Got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path. This is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. So COVID has been on everyone's minds uh, recently with this upsurge in our new uh, COVID numbers, the new Delta variants. You know, the numbers here at American Ambulance, we're seeing a a huge uptick in numbers of people, uh, providers, paramedics, EMS, dispatchers, office folks having COVID. Um, Saji, you want to take us through the Fresno County stats? And these are stats as of August 20th, 2021. Sure. So in Fresno County, there were just over 110, almost 111,000 cases. We're almost at 1,800 deaths. And there are currently, or as of August 20th, 338 people hospitalized. In California, we are over 4 million cases and 64,000 deaths. In the U.S., we have almost 38 million cases with 630,000 deaths. And worldwide, over 210 million cases with 4.4 million deaths. And just as Danielle was saying, we have seen an uptick in cases just over the last month or so, especially in Fresno County. In the middle of July, our positivity rate, so the number of tests that are positive, was about 1.5%. And just in a month, that number has jumped to 10%. Our number of positive cases per day per 100,000 jumped from 2 to 24. And again, this is just highlighting that we're really, really increasing the number of COVID patients that we see. Just remind everybody that every county kind of does it differently, but they have these like levels of minimal, moderate, substantial, and widespread. And once you get more than 8% of a positive test percentage, that's considered widespread disease or widespread um, prevalence of the virus. So Fresno County is in the widespread percentages, being over that 8%. Let's jump into the variants. Patil, you want to kick us off and talk about Delta? So the Delta variant is the predominant strain of the virus in the United States right now. And in two different studies from Canada and Scotland, patients infected with the Delta variant were more likely to be hospitalized than patients infected with the Alpha or the original virus strains. And previous variants typically produce less virus load in the body of infected, fully vaccinated people than in unvaccinated people. But now the Delta variant, in contrast, seems to produce the same high amount of virus in both unvaccinated and fully vaccinated people. Now, what does this mean? So the amount of virus produced by the Delta variant breakthrough infections in fully vaccinated people goes away faster than infections in unvaccinated people. So that means that fully vaccinated people are likely infectious for a shorter period of time than unvaccinated people. A lot of people are asking, you know, for the Delta, is it worse in younger and unvaccinated? Is that true? That's kind of what you're seeing in the media. 
yes, it is true. The Delta variant is more than two times as contagious as other variants were. And in a recent study from the United Kingdom, children and adults under 50 were 2.5 times more likely to become infected with the Delta variant. And this is something that, I mean, we're just seeing in the hospital every day ourselves. Um, most of the patients that we're admitting to the hospital um, and in the ICU have been younger and unvaccinated. And that's such a big change from the original variants. When the original variants were older people, there were people in SNFs, there were people with lots of comorbidities. I know all of us at this table can think of the young 25-year-old, no medical problems, not a smoker, who's now you know on high flow and studying in the 80s. And so I think that's a shock for all of us in healthcare to see young, vibrant people with Delta doing worse. So let's talk about prevention. I know we've talked about it a lot, um, but Sajin, let's talk about what does work in preventing this illness. The things that we started with are still the things we know work the best. Number one is masking, vaccinated or unvaccinated, especially while indoors around other people, masking works. Two is social distancing from people you're not in constant contact with, especially from people who you know have been in contact with the virus. And then number three is vaccines. The vaccines continue to reduce a person's risk of contracting the virus that causes COVID-19, including the Delta variant. The COVID-19 vaccines that are available in the U.S. are highly effective at preventing severe disease and death, including the Delta variant. But like all vaccines, the COVID vaccines are not 100% effective, and some fully vaccinated people will become infected, and these are called breakthrough infections. The goal of the vaccine is to prevent serious illness and hospitalizations And this is what has been shown to be true for vaccinated people who do contract the virus. They're not as sick and there's a very low likelihood of dying if you are vaccinated and do have a breakthrough infection. I think that's kind of a myth. You know, people say, I got the vaccine. I'm not supposed to get infected at all. So remember, that's not the purpose of the vaccine. Just like Sajan said, the purpose is to prevent serious illness and hospitalizations, not to prevent getting it. So we may all get it if you're vaccinated, but you're hoping to not be as sick because you got the vaccine. Let's talk about hot off the press. So today, August 23rd, 2021, um, FDA officially approved the Pfizer vaccine, which means it's not on the emergency use authorization FDA approval anymore. It's full on FDA approved. That's great news. And I anticipate the Moderna FDA approval will also follow quickly in its footsteps. Let's talk about how long these mRNA COVID vaccines uh, provide protection to us. So the newest data coming out shows that at least six months from your second shot, you have fairly high antibody responses to inoculation with the COVID-19 virus. Now, the most recent data submitted by Pfizer is showing that at about eight months, your immunity starts to wane a little bit. There is a greater chance of breakthrough infection and a higher chance of moderate disease. And so the CDC is now recommending that individuals get their COVID vaccine booster shot eight months after their second dose of an mRNA vaccine. It is also recommended that they stay with the same pharmaceutical company, correct? Like, so if you got Moderna originally, stick with Moderna. If you got Pfizer originally, stick with Pfizer for the booster. And if somebody is severely immunocompromised, so for example, organ transplant patients, cancer patients, um, taking chronic steroids, then they can actually um, already currently get the booster. The CDC reports that by mid-September, you should see boosters for all healthcare workers and first responders. So I know we're all looking forward to that. Yes. 
let's go through the current treatment options for COVID. Like what's out there? What are we using in the hospitals? Um, let's kind of go through some of the things you hear in the media versus what we're actually doing. I think we just start by remembering that this is a virus and in general, all of our advances in medicine, we just haven't quite figured out how to kill and effectively beat viruses. So a lot of our treatments have been focused on supportive care. And now some of the newer technologies that we'll talk about in a second have shown to neutralize some of the virus particles, but really we're focusing on supportive care. And that first treatment that gained widespread popularity was steroids and specifically dexamethasone. So recent large placebo-controlled trial researchers showed again that dexamethasone lowered mortality in COVID-19 patients who are receiving mechanical ventilation or oxygen therapy. So anyone admitted to the hospital who is on oxygen for COVID ends up getting dexamethasone, and it's been shown to lower mortality. Again, specifically, there's a meta-analysis of five randomized trials, almost 7,700 patients. Investigators evaluated the effect of systemic steroids on survival in patients who had SARS-CoV-2 infection who required various levels of respiratory support, And this was published in a few different articles, JAMA, New England Journal of Medicine. Again, they show that mortality was significantly lower among patients who received steroids. And the number needed to treat is about 53. Um, So we're still treating all patients with steroids because this difference was especially pronounced in patients who required mechanical ventilation. So if you were on a ventilator intubated, steroids significantly helped. And they also, if you were on non-invasive mechanical ventilation, such as BiPAP or high flow, it also lowered the need for eventually needing intubation or mechanical ventilation. But for patients who do not need oxygen therapy, steroids are significantly associated with higher mortality. So for patients who are going home who don't need oxygen, we are not giving those patients steroids. It actually can cause harm. Let's jump to the hot drug of remdesivir. Yeah, remdesivir is a hot topic right now. It's an antiviral drug that has FDA approval for use in adults and certain pediatric patients with COVID-19 who are sick enough to need hospitalization. Um, But the main question is, is it effective? Uh, The adaptive COVID-19 treatment trial was uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine And they looked at 1,062 hospitalized COVID-19 patients who were randomized to either receive remdesivir or a placebo plus standard treatment for 10 days. The final results from that study showed that remdesivir was beneficial. It seemed that they were quicker to recover, and the median recovery time was 10 days with remdesivir versus 15 days for the placebo group. It also seemed to improve mortality rates for those receiving supplemental oxygen And all-cause mortality among all patients was 11% with remdesivir and 15% with placebo at day 29. But this difference between the groups wasn't large enough to rule out by chance. So those findings didn't really show a true effect on mortality. It did suggest, though, that remdesivir treatment may prevent patients from progressing to more severe respiratory disease. And were less likely to need higher levels of respiratory support. And it appeared to be most beneficial to those who were receiving supplemental oxygen. Now, this was the initial study that led people to really wanting to use remdesivir a lot. um, And that's why we kind of went through it in some detail. But um, now 
that it's been a while, more data is coming out, more studies are being published. And what it seems like now is that remdesivir may not be quite as beneficial as we once thought, and it may not make that much of a difference. So I'm not sure how much, um, how much more we will be using remdesivir in the future. Let's jump to ivermectin. I feel like on social media, you see a lot of stuff about ivermectin. But just as a caveat, we are not using this in the hospital. So ivermectin is a livestock antiparasitic drug. So it's usually used in horses and cows. It has a resurgence in people trying to take it uh, to treat COVID. And there are no good studies out there supporting its use. So Patil, with their toxicology background, would love it that in Mississippi, where only 37% of the population is fully vaccinated, almost 70% of all the calls to the state's poison control center were related to ingestion of livestock or animal formulations of ivermectin. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a little bit interesting when one poison center um, that covers a whole state gets inundated with really one topic. Um, so ivermectin toxicity is a real thing. It's a big deal. It can cause milder things such as rash, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, but it can cause neurological problems such as dizziness and ataxia, which is when you just can't even walk, can't walk straight. Um, and it can definitely cause severe hepatitis and liver injury. So I think this, this actually led the FDA itself to tweet out this declaration last week. This is a quote from the FDA Twitter. You are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. Um, and that's what I would say. This is a highly concentrated livestock medication that is toxic to humans. And so I you know, do not recommend um, the use of ivermectin. Now let's jump to monoclonal antibodies. This is getting a lot of hot press lately. A lot of places are using it. Um, Sajin, you want to kick us off? What is monoclonal antibody and what are these treatments? Sure. So monoclonal antibody treatments are for the treatment usually of mild to moderate COVID-19 in adults and kids uh, ages 12 or older who are at high risk for progressing to severe disease. And there are two emergency use authorizations for two different types of antibodies. One is Regeneron, um, which is a combination um, of two different antibodies. And then another one is developed by GlaxoSmithKline. These are recombinant human monoclonal antibodies that target the receptor binding domain of the spike protein of the virus. So they're laboratory-made molecules that act as substitute antibodies, and they help your immune system recognize and respond more effectively to the virus, making it more difficult for the virus to reproduce and cause harm. And really the goal of monoclonal antibody treatment is early intervention in high-risk patients. So how effective is it? Now, outpatient data from clinical trials showed that high-risk COVID-19 patients treated with antibodies had a 70% reduction in relative risk of progression of severe disease compared to patients who did not receive the antibodies. Just to reiterate, the treatment is most effective when given shortly after symptoms appear, within the first few days. So it's important to get tested and treated as soon as possible. They usually, for now, are given to high-risk persons who test positive for COVID, and often before severe symptoms ever kick in. Regeneron specifically has gotten a lot of press because a lot of high-profile entertainers and actors and politicians who end up getting hospitalized end up getting Regeneron. 
And the goal is to get this before you're hospitalized. So if you're a kidney transplant patient or you're on chronic steroids from your COPD and you test positive for COVID or have very, very mild symptom test positive, so you want to get it then, not once you're hospitalized. Um, so let's jump to um, how do we take care of ourselves as this pandemic keeps going? You know, we've always talked about this is not a sprint, this is a marathon. You know, we've been all uh, living with COVID for um, over almost two years now. And so let's just go through some of those basic things that have to take care of ourselves, you know, you in the front lines listening to this, EMS professionals, you got to especially take care of yourself. We need you out there. We need you to take care of our population. I think a lot of us are going through PPE fatigue. I know I am definitely, and it's getting hot and masks are cumbersome and gowns, especially when dealing with COVID positive patients. But really, it is a marathon, not a sprint. And it's really important to keep ourselves and our families safe and the new variants are more transmissible. So we just want to take care of ourselves. We want you to take care of yourselves. So please try and keep your PPE on. That's going to be really important. Yeah, other things we know too is where that PPE, but sleep. I know it's hard out there. A lot of uh, people listening are working crazy shifts right now to help out with the holes because we have a lot of people out with COVID. But we know sleep helps our body fight off infection. It helps our immune systems and also helps with our perception of stress. So sleep is really, really important during this time. Another one is vitamins. So vitamin C and D are essential to helping with your immune system. So if you're not taking those supplements, uh, we encourage you to. Eat healthy. Make healthy food choices. And then I would love to say give yourself some grace. You know, this is a super stressful time for everyone. Our cortisol stress hormones are really off the charts. You know, try to take breaks during your shift. Check in with supportive colleagues or coworkers. Really check in with yourself um, because you really need to give yourself some grace during this time as the pandemic keeps going. Patil is our health expert. Any other tips that I'm missing? No, I love all of this. You just have to remember to take care of yourself or else you can't take care of anybody else. Let's go through some take-home points um, with COVID as of August 23rd, 2021. Sajin. I'd say remember the basics, keep your masks on, please get the vaccine, and stay strong. Patil. For any of you that are vaccine hesitant or have questions, you know, we're here for you. You can reach out to us at podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com if you need, you know, any information or any questions answered. And um, when the booster does come out, uh, we recommend that you do get the vaccine booster. And my take home point is um, masks work as much as we don't like wearing them. They really work. So when you're going to the grocery store, you're going to the movies, you're going out to dinner, wear your masks. When you're around your families, I feel like the most I've seen in the hospital now is people are getting it from their families. So um, try when you have those family get togethers, even though it's your cousin that you haven't seen in forever, put your masks on. It's really important to keep everyone safe. So thanks for all you do out there. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. 
And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.